Graham Goodwin. Graham Goodwin. It's time for the week in sports cars. And yes, I've lost my head yet again. <laughs> Have you been eating the catnip again? Well, I don't know if it was catnip, but I can tell you that after rolling up a dollar bill, well, all right, we're just going to leave that alone right there where it was. Huh, hey, there's an IMSA race this weekend at a place called Watkins Glen International. That's right. Internationally renowned. Uh, not necessarily. Uh, hey, there's an IMSA race this weekend. It's the third of their four Enduros, the six hours, the hot dog manufacturing, sailing six hours at the Glen. We have the 97 hours of Portimao. No, wait a minute. That's already done on the WEX side. Uh, we do have some sporty car stuff going on this weekend, Graham Goodwin, but... Oh, we do? Yeah, yeah. we're not crazy inundated with uh, reports and content. So, I think, if you're in agreement, we're going to be able to do the show in not too long of a stretch of time. So, why don't I say thank you to Cooper Tires, who, by the way, I think I announced this on my IndyCar show, hey, we're in June of 2021, and they just re-upped... For 2022. How do you have like they? that? Wow. They have. Yes, they truly, genuinely said, we love, well, I mean, this will be, I think, the fourth or fifth year we've been together uh, when we get into 2022. But yeah, they did say, we love what you're doing. The social media engagement, the fans, everything that we see taking place. Seriously, just keep doing what you're doing. We want to make sure we're plugged in and going next year as well. So big thanks to them. Huge thanks to the Justice Brothers as well, Graham, you know how much I love them and how deep our relationship goes back there. TorontoMotorsports.com, as always. One last little thing. Uh, big thanks to everyone uh, who has, to date, taken a little dip of the toe into the new merchandise page on the MarshallPruittPodcast.com site and starting to pick up a little bit of traction, Graham, on selling our weekend sports car stickers, the variety of images that we have there, the cartoons done by Roger Warwick. So if you haven't checked it out, there's some there. Please, if uh, you find anything you like, take it home. It only helps uh, 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 not too bad of a cause, not like the greatest cause. It's <laughs> my wife and I, and, you know, I need to buy her a house, not a joke, and do a lot of other things. But anyways, if you haven't had a chance, com new merchandise page. Well, a decent amount of stuff right there, right now. And uh, I'm going to be busy this weekend loading in a lot more. So uh, that's what I got to say, Graham. And uh, yep. you I select what we do in terms of categories. Do we go straight to a category or do you offer some other safe we, words? No, no, we will. I will just add that we are talking about making sure that uh, some of that merchandise is going to be available on this side of the pond as well at some point in the coming weeks. Give us a little, be a little bit patient with that. It'll take me a little while to find exactly what we need to do to source the materials and source the um, the service to actually make sure you get that in good time, in good order and securely. But uh, we will make sure that uh, some of those materials are going to be available to, to our listeners on this side of the great big ocean that we call the Atlantic. We're going to start, though, this week, what? Uh, MP. Where are we going? We are. I can't wait. We're going to go with Wekaslam's Helms Acre. <laughs> Good. Uh, I, I, I can't even tell you how many letters that is because I've, I've suddenly started that sentence without One, actually two, three, knowing four, what the answer to that five, is going to be. Six, it's seven, 15. Eight, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. 15. Uh, uh, wow. 
So it's the 15-letter acronym uh, for all things ACL, most things ACO. Let's kick off with that, which is where you go into frenzied gibbon flinging things at me. Uh, hopefully, in this oh, case, duck. questions oh, are more unpleasant. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reaching back and flinging. That's right. It oh, must that. be time for Weck Asimelms and ACO. Matthew License. Holy cow, Matthew. You send in not one, but two show starters. Why is my voice raising so high? I have I no know. idea. Matthew opens up by saying, Graham, Glickenhouse, that being Jim, put out a hydrogen concept for their LMH this week. Would they possibly be able to do a garage 59 or whatever number it is effort as the hydrogen class itself is going to be pretty much spec? It's an interesting one, isn't it? It's fair to say that it did look a little bit um, front of a fag packet. Uh, the uh, the it basically that looked like several, a couple of cryogenic cigarette tanks packet for those Sorry, in America. Apologies. <laughs> yes, good apologies. lord. Oh, I just realised what I did. I tell you, my apologies. Yes, okay. it's okay. Go ahead. Packet. Go ahead. But um, the it was basically, I think, Jim trying to get the message across that look what we've got is a flexible platform that could be adapted for incoming technology whether or not that is uh hydrogen burning or whether or not that is fuel cell you know what it was it was what it was which was a kind of slightly odd um concept drawing with uh, hydrogen tanks effectively alongside the shark fin um could it happen could will it happen Probably not, is a straight answer. Um, pretty clearly what the ACO are aiming at is this um, spec hydrogen spine, hydrogen fuel cell spine. So it would involve everything bar the fuel cell stack itself being um, already there by regulation with a variety of suppliers, including Red Bull, uh, advanced technologies Oracle involved in that green gt involved with that plastic omnium with the tankage etc but then the manufacturer and we've said before and i'll say it again i believe that the first manufacturer uh taker for this would is looking most likely to be hyundai um would be bringing their fuel cell tech uh to the game which is the absolute core of the piece and give them an opportunity to show off their technology um could somebody do a garage 56 with something like a hydrogen burner rather than a fuel cell? They could. Do I foresee that as being an immediate prospect? Well, we've had um, the Toyota Corolla in the Fuji 24 hours that was using that, that technology. We've seen an Aston Martin repeat uh, some years ago now at um, the Nürburgring 24 hours that uses that technology. But what it basically does is it allows you to use effectively a cleaner fuel with adapted current technology engines um not seeing any signs at the moment that that's an immediate prospect is the straight answer i suspect what we're going to see is one manufacturer uh, added to the huge pile of manufacturers in lmdh and le mans hypercar in the wc's hypercar um class uh, in the next couple of years that maybe hyundai might be added to that um, that that would be likely Le Mans only in the very first year. And, you know, as and when a solution to the infrastructure for hydrogen fueling, filling, uh, came along, and we know that Total Energies are working on that. We're going to see that this year, in fact, at Monza in a couple of three weeks' time. 
um, for the Michelin Le Mans Cup, that when that becomes a practicable, licensable, in other words, for the safety aspects of this, transportable uh, prospect outside of Europe, then that becomes a prospect for something you might see in the WEC perhaps the following year. Will it be in 2024? Could be. Uh, it wouldn't be a surprise if that was slightly delayed. Obviously, you know, the logistics of everything at the moment in the COVID era have been tricky. Um, so I think, again, I think people will get a pass if that slips by a year or so. It's ambitious. It's exciting. There's lots of manufacturers involved around the table in, in discussing that rule set. So there's interest beyond the first burst of this, if you like. But um, it's just another interesting piece in the jigsaw that's coming together isn't it mp gonna share a piece of knowledge passed down mm. to me by the uh korean manufacturers north american pals at brian herta autosport they did uh driver training during the off season knowing that there were a number of new drivers coming in to be part of the IMSA TCR uh, Michelin Pilot Challenge program. And they threw up an awesome slide in terms of the official factory decision or preference for pronunciation, to which they say, Hyundai like Sunday. So according to them... uh, If it's their their company, Hyundai. As someone who is... I think told on a weekly basis by our readers that I don't know how to pronounce Peugeot, Jaguar, etc. Maybe I can offer a little bit of pronunciation uh, guidance into the ether on Hyundai like Sunday, Sunday like Hyundai. So Hyundai, yeah. There we go. Matthew License keeps us going here. Graham says he's Ooh. wondering whether the Peugeot. Ha ha ha, and I'm never going to pronounce it differently. LMH program could possibly have customer teams as they did with Areca when they ran an LMP1, or is it factory only? And we should throw Pescarolo into that too, right? You, did, you absolutely can. The Pescarolo, which I thought, by the way, was the, one of the most beautiful. PlayStation the, uh, car. Oh, 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 just oh. really, really gorgeous. It was Ben, was it ben Fallier that had the, uh, the rear yes. deck lift in that car. It was, wasn't it? Horrendous shunts. Um, We've heard nothing about Peugeot having uh, customer cars. I'll chuck this in. There is this new group of which they're a part. It does offer them opportunities for branding. We've heard nothing about that. We'll see that car, by the way, uh, for the first time on the 6th of July. Um, So in the week that we are leaving for uh, Monza, uh, we'll see the Peugeot at least in concept form, for the very first time. So that's going to be kind of quite interesting. What else we hear at that point, I think, could be very little. I think you know they're not going to muddy the waters. They're going to keep their their power to dry. That's uh, enough cliches in that sentence, Graham. Um, but we'll see the car for the very first time. That might give us an opportunity to see the livery for the first time, although they wouldn't be the first, would they? Uh, to put a livery on a concept car that doesn't see the light of day in a race, looking at you, Toyota, uh, anybody that remembers as far back as the early days of the WC will remember that car was initially presented in red and has never raced in uh, anything other than blue and white or red, black and white. Um, So 
I think that the genesis of this converged class MP is going to be interesting as and when the LMH manufacturers start to take account of the fact that the LMDH product inevitably is going to interest customer teams. We're already chasing down all sorts of stories about which customers might run what as a private or a semi-factory or a factory-supported effort. I don't know about UMP, but I can't see the LMH manufacturers, should the the, um, unit cost be accessible, uh, staying out of that marketplace. And, and, you know, in particular, I'm thinking about Ferrari because it's Ferrari um, and because Ferrari race cars, we know, are very good at keeping and indeed enhancing their value over time. Uh, I would be surprised if we didn't see, and I'm not pointing here at Jim Gleckenhaus, who clearly has a kind of customer-focused uh, idea in terms of his product, but for the Peugeots, the Toyotas, the Ferraris in this world, and anybody else that decides to come and join in, should they do so, it would be a surprise to me if we didn't have, uh, didn't start to see the possibility of customers getting hold of some of those cars. They are, I think the technology is significantly more accessible than an MP1 um, hybrid. Uh, it's, you know, we, we've heard already from the likes of Pascal Vazelon um, that the, the weight that's getting into the car means that, you know, you are able to use more production-focused parts. The technology is certainly less cutting edge, if you like, uh, in terms of the, the capabilities of it. It doesn't have to be the you know, neutron bomb in a um, hybrid system that the LMP1 cars had. It's a far more road-relevant product. I'd be surprised if there weren't customers out there that are thinking we might like ourselves a bit of Ferrari, whether or not there's anybody thinking about Peugeot or Toyota, I think will emerge in the wash. Why don't I take a great one here from Sean Crockett Says Graham, does the news that Bentley have shelved their LMDH plans for 23 mean the end of the project? Or could it be that allowing an extra year for Multimatic to ramp up their production facilities might be a better fit with their plans, not to win the 100th Le Mans, but to win on the 100th anniversary of Bentley's first back in 1924, which would come in 2024. Indeed, it's, it, it, because indeed, um, Bentley did indeed win the second ever Le Mans 24 hours in 2024, in 1924 rather. Uh, 2024, by the way, will be the centenary of one of the other great European races, the Spa 24 hours. That's first race was 1924. Um, I think the answer, unfortunately, is no. Uh, I've not got the entire full picture. Um, I've got shards of it from various sources uh, around this project. My understanding is the project is gone. Um, at least in part, I would not be remotely surprised if that's because of an unavailability of the chassis. The chassis most certainly would have been the Porsche Audi spine, likely with a complete rebody. Um, but the whole idea to respond to your, your, your question, Sean, is 2023 was always about a preparation year for 2024 when they would like to have pushed for a potential centenary win so kind of right wrong if you like i believe it may be no more it may be dead it may be deceased it may have fallen off its perch but um i hope that's not the case but every indication is that 
a little bit like the Ford LMBH uh, MP, it's all gone very, very quiet, and all the guidance I'm getting from the sources I could get anybody to talk to me about it is in the negative. Gotcha. Let's see. James Counter says, do you think the newer ACO safety car regulations are here to stay? I don't think it's as pure now, and I think pass-arounds are silly as half the grid pits afterwards. Then they want to do another pass-around, making the whole slowdown even longer. I'm certainly keen to keep ACO rules racing away from the full-blown IMSA long uh, safety car, long yellow uh, system, which I do think, particularly in the shorter races, the two-hour, 40-minute races, it's just too long a process. It's as simple as that. It's taking up way too much uh, spectator time, whether or not your track side are watching um, on TV. But I do think pass-arounds are valid. It's your choice as to whether or not you then pit. Um, the problem, of course, particularly for the prototypes these days, is their fuel windows are relatively short. An LMP2 is doing 42, 43 minutes. The odds that you're going to be close to a fuel window um, you know, uh, with a safety car it, it are significantly shorter um, with a shorter fuel window, aren't they? You're, you're, you're unlikely to be much more than 20 minutes away from that. So I think at the moment they've been reasonably intelligently used. Uh, you know, Eduardo Freitas, because it's always Eduardo, uh, will generally uh, call for a safety car if he thinks there's a recovery uh, efforts or extraction efforts going on in the line of fire, so to speak. Um, I've not seen very much evidence that I would disagree with his choices between safety car and full course yellow. He tends to deal with this intelligently. He's fully well aware that we're looking at four or arguably five races at the same time for WEC and uh, four uh, in ELMS and wants to make sure that that's not disrupted. I think there's only so far you can take it and retain the shape of that race. So I absolutely think the pass arounds should happen. I don't think we should be um, interrupting class races because there's been an incident for you know, an unnamed car. Actually, oddly enough, before we started this uh, recording MP, I was just writing up a, a interview with a young racer who was telling me that uh, their first race this season utterly ruined by the fact that... Um, They'd just been passed by the leaders in the in the premier class just before a safety car came out, and the at that stage running a close fifth or sixth, and the four or five cars ahead of that car gained immediately a full lap on the leader, uh, on the uh, on the rest of the field, race over, um, you know, 15, 20 minutes in, and I don't want to see that. I don't want to see, you know, gaps of a minute, a minute and a half, two minutes. Uh, early in a race uh, when you could have a six, eight, ten car battle. So I, I'm not against where they are. I think the other quick thing, and we've seen this as well, by the way, your side of the pond, MP, is there is, I think, now a mindset where you've got race officials are prepared to cherry pick the best opportunities and examples of race management from other things they have seen there is a far more intelligent approach now taken there's no more of this not invented here if there's a good idea it's very likely to to be discussed and potentially um 
it, it trialed, uh, simulated, operated upon uh, to see whether or not that might have a part to play uh, somewhere in another series. Full course yellow is a good one. You know, the code purple that we saw, uh, we, we, we've seen basically sweeping across uh, endurance racing. All those things to try to just make sure that what we've got is keeping the shape of the race for the competitors and for you out there as the fans. Um, you know, people have not lost track of the fact it's both a sport and entertainment. Would also like to report that our cat Rocky climbed on my chest. He's groomed the microphone boom in the back of the mm. microphone. I don't know if that was heard. He's jumped on the back of the chair and he's now jumping over to the left side desk where Rosie is face down drunk at the bar sleeping and he is doing his patrol things. So a normal day, a normal podcast <laughs> recording uh, infused well, by pets. Not here because... No? Uh, no, no, no. Uniquely, in fact, since, you know, because um, usually I've only really had Oscar the Husky if I've been recording in the house. Uh, but uh, down at the office at the bottom of the garden and just about an hour and a half ago, he came ambled down in the way that only a large Husky can. Came in, had a big sniff around to see whether or not there's any food around, decided there wasn't and parked his furry backside um, on the carpet, and there he has stayed. I think he knows I'm out of quarantine today. You've just and, described uh, how my wife describes me on most days, so uh, <laughs> parking my furry behind on the ground after not finding uh, adequate snackery. So. Well, there you go. All so, right. uh, so, so I think he's asking me, as soon as we've uh, finished recording yeah. this, I think he's looking for a kind of uh, a bit of a walk with Dad, so we'll see how we go. What's next, MP? Uh, a couple more to go here. Why don't we go to our pal Damien Peachman, who's sent in four why don't we take one uh any updates on the ferrari lmh program and i can tell you damien and it's up to graham obviously to share as he pleases but we were discussing this very thing before recording whether any of that conversation will make it onto the show off you go uh, i think it's fair to say that they are how can we put this closing in on a technical partner is that fair to say I, I think would we, say we, we could we, say it's been closed upon. Fair enough. Are we going to tell them who it is? Uh, Iceland's newest prototype constructor. Uh, team uh, Thor. Singlematic, <laughs> right? No multi, <laughs> just singlematic. Yeah, they're the new powerhouse. Uh, yes, by a, but it's led by a bald, non-bespeckled Canadian. Um, Harry Lolt <laughs> is his name. Harry talks Lolt o- talks only politely. Yes, yes. never curses. No hair, no, no glasses. Is no. Canadian, so we make you know we'll make that exception. Yes, Harry Lolt, the new director of Iceland's number one prototype constructor, Singlematic. <laughs> uh, uh, what can you tell us, uh, Graham? I don't think it's going to be a massive surprise to anybody, is it? Um, that uh, you know, to just go through what, what we've got out there at the moment with these um, synergies, if you like. We, we said in the weekend sports cars a few weeks ago, uh, we expect it to be confirmed that Peugeot have a uh, partnership with Ligier. That uh, Peugeot will be building that car, but to Peugeot Sport Designs. Uh, we already know about the VAG with uh, Multimatics. That's the Audi, the Porsche, and any other brands that uh, decide to come their way. I think we can expect to see no reason why Acura wouldn't stay with Orica. 
I think we'd probably say the yes. same about uh, Cadillac if, when, maybe they do, don't uh, delay. I do any, have uh, final confirmation of when Cadillac's yeah. 2023 LMDH program will be confirmed. Are you ready for this hashtag breaking exclusive scoop? 2026. Yes. 2026. They will confirm they will be competing in 2023. So, but that's not 26 minutes past eight. No. So it's a, it's going to be weird, but for the better part of three years, we're going to have to pretend like they're not there. It's the the entire uh, opposite to BMW announcing it with an Instagram post. It's the ostrich head in sand. That's actually the the model name of uh, the new Cadillac to LMH. It's not going to be there. You're not going to see it. No, again, just avert your eyes. Um, uh, yeah. uh, so to, to answer the question. Um, Should we just say that uh, if you like history and tradition and yes. you like Ferrari prototypes, yes. uh, they are going to do a throwback with an old partner who was integral in their last? Would that be a way of putting it? Pinaparina. Michelotto. Uh, uh, Drunken Puncho. I don't know. Um, it might be an Italian constructor. Um, and it Is might... It perhaps the world's largest builder of race cars? Well, yeah. Or if you do get really drunk and stumble to pronounce Paul Dallalana... Uh, his last name <laughs> and pull out a couple letters. Yeah, you might be pretty close. So uh, they've they've hired Paul Dalalana, uh, or they've hired Dal. We'll just go with Dalalana. How's that? That's who they've hired. So okay. uh, <laughs> we don't know much else, though, Damien. Um, how's this? The thing that I've heard, and I don't mind saying it because it's a non answer. It's an answer, but it's kind of not giving us anything. Um, I've heard they don't have anything. Uh, in terms of or actual design or concept yet. So I don't know if that's accurate, but I've heard that they are not exactly fast-tracking things and going at a million miles an hour to try and get things done and ready. I uh, would say I, that's maybe in stark contrast to Porsche. I spent, I don't know how many minutes, but a decent amount of time on the phone this morning, this Friday morning with Pascal Zerlinden, their head of motorsports, mm-hmm. talking specifically about LMDH. And while our good man, Pascal, didn't have a whole bunch to say that I would say was revelatory, revealing, or referential, um, he did say some things. And uh, so we'll put that into a little story. But we can say that by contrast, um, Ferrari is not following Porsche's suit in, really trying to get the hammer down and get something going and get testing, and get you, properly prepared. Is it possible they've seen the Glickenhaus and think, we've got to do better than what we've written on the on this piece of white paper here? That looks really gorgeous. We've got to do better than that. Is it possible that's, or am I just making that up? I love the, I love the thought process behind that. And yeah, for those who've given uh, the Glickenhaus folks a bit of the old business for not really having a, quote, livery, uh, I don't care what color is on or not on that vehicle. That 007 is a beautiful piece uh, to the Just, eyes. So, yeah, I think Ferrari will be hard-pressed uh, to do better. But, uh, hey, we will find out at some point in time in the near future. Um, you know, uh, we're almost at the top of the hour here recording-wise. Why don't you do as you often do 
and pick one or two more from your category, pick. and I can read them to you. Uh, let's go with Clement Rosin uh, with the increase of interest expected in hypercar class in the coming seasons. Could we expect the return of third cars from manufacturers to the big races? I sincerely hope so. Uh, pretty clearly, you're going to find manufacturers interested in standing out at the very biggest races, whether that's Daytona, Sebring, whether or not that's Le Mans 24 hours. It's going to be a very interesting period to find out how they do this. Amongst the things we don't yet know... Um, we know that Porsche are going to be in both the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship and WEC. I believe Audi will be doing the same, at least. Um, I believe, too, that there are moves to try to find a way into the WEC from uh, a, a BMW with some form of factory backing blessing. It may not be a full works effort. And the interesting thing there, MP, is going to be how many did Porsche ask for as factory cars? Do they ask for two? Do they ask for three? Do they ask for four? Um, hell, five. Uh, plus, you know, all of the potential customer cars that could be coming, and that could be a reasonably large number, certainly by the time we get to 2024. So I hope we do see that. I think that just adds something. You know, when you've got factories coming in full force, and, you know, we're talking here about a performance balance class, the more the merrier, as far as I'm concerned. Yes, that will have a knock-on effect uh, to the the more junior classes, if you like. Um, but we'll start to see about the potential for that when we get to the end of August um, and Le Mans, and we hear about what the plans are for uh, GT racing in ACO Rules Racing moving forward. That's one of a number of pretty key announcements we're expected to hear about from Pierre Fion and his team. So there's that one. Um, beyond that, a couple of questions. Stephen Gates and Jesse Topari. Uh, that's by the name of another name I don't recognize. So if you're new to us, Jesse, welcome. Uh, talking about a couple of reports about Valentino Rossi retiring from MotoGP, moving to sports cars. What have I heard about it? Secondly, could this be a precursor for Valet to be landing a Ferrari hypercar drive for 2023? Um, <sighs> I think the answer here is I've read the, the actual statements as well as the hyperbole that came along with it. Um, no doubt in my mind that Valentino Rossi is talking about GT Drive, uh, potentially GTM, and coming to play uh, there. Might somebody see the commercial potential from going into a hypercar? They might, but he's got no uh, reference points, uh, no basis to get into a hypercar um, this quickly he has done some gt racing really reasonable success golf 12 hours and a couple of other races at a gt3 ferrari i would be not surprised at all to see that we might see him at le mans and maybe uh, in more wc races or even lms races in a customer ferrari gtm anything more than that i think is a bit of a stretch right now and the final one i'll pick up from this one is another one from damien peachman who says how many more pit stops will sigtex alpine need to take at le mans um to put this into context, the Alpine needs more fuel stops because against its balance of performance, it's been dealt out. It doesn't and can't have a large enough fuel tank. So it does need a further pit stop from uh, the Toyota. The maths is pretty clear. Uh, in a six-hour race, it needed one more fuel stop. The Le Mans 24 hours is four times that long. So depending on how full the tank and depending on what happens in terms of caution, I would suggest to you that we're talking between three and four additional stops to the Tota across a 24-hour race, which is 
uh, you do your maths, and that is significantly more than a lap. I think it's time for him, sir. What? Is that it possible? is. All right. Wake up. Wake up. Uh, now <laughs> it's your uh, fecal hurling uh, opportunity. Uh, I don't know how to describe that, but go for it, and I'll duck. Let, let's go for it. So we're going to kick off with Geronimo Lazos. Geronimo. Uh, he quotes <laughs> our uh, social media post. Fries are red. Alpines are blue. Alpines are blue. MP, you mischievous demon, he says. This line made him laugh like a drunk seal. Sun came running to him, think he was having some kind of seizure. Thankfully not. Uh, he says, thanks for putting a smile on my face. We're just trying to draw in the attention, aren't we? He now says... The new LMD Huskies editions have had us on the high. Bentley stepping down caught us by surprise. Can you share or add other potential interest on any of the top tier categories with a hashtag delicious insider scoop? A little birdie has told him force is strong on Cadillac. What can we what can we say? I mean, I think for me to you Cadillac? MP, where? Yeah, no, who have thought? Uh, who'd have thought? I'm going to go to the Googs right now. I'm going to Google me that and see <laughs> if I can find something because, dang it, I've never heard that before. Oh, I, 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 I don't know about you. I think the the buzzword is going to move pretty rapidly from manufacturers to customers. I don't know exactly what that means, but I like what it sounds like. Uh, I'll be. I'll be- Customer cars rather than manufacturer cars, I think, is going to be where we start to see significant growth. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Without a doubt. Uh, I th- What I'm not sure about, Geronimo, is how many LMDHs we will have to launch the formula in 2023. That's the number that's still a little bit up in the air. I would say, without a doubt, knowing that we currently have four that have confirmed Acura, Audi, BMW, Porsche. We're going to have five based on that hot tip of Cadillac that will be confirmed in 2026. Uh, We're going to have five minimum. We know that there are more coming. What we don't know is timing. I'm not now the things I'm about to share. They're not hot tips that I know and I'm presenting them as, as less than certain. I am sharing things we've probably discussed before on the show somewhat recently over the last six months, whatever, but we have them down as things that are going to happen or very likely to happen just now with a little bit of a question mark as to whether we're talking 23 or 2024. So many of us have been saying Lamborghini is going to be the third member of the uh, Volkswagen Group's uh, three-tiered approach to LMDH. I've heard nothing to say that that has changed. So I think we're safe in saying we're going to have Lamborghini. That would be, we'll just say number six, whether they would announce sixth, I don't know. Is that a 23 or 24? We don't know. Would it surprise either of us if Audi and Porsche lay the groundwork in that debut season, Lamborghini follows along? Wouldn't surprise us. Could there be a single factory Lamborghini in 23 and then that gets ramped up to either more factory semi works pure privateer in 24 again hard to say believe it or not when we ask they don't give us answers do we think McLaren is seriouser and seriouser to saying yes to LMDH 
in that being definitely not a 23 thing. Zach Brown's always been clear. If it were to happen, it'd be 24. I feel pretty good, Graham, about saying, yeah, unless there's some massive change financially within McLaren, unless there's some giant evolution we don't know of on their competition side, be it IndyCar, F1, or wherever else, all the various GT things that they do, I feel like when we're talking 24, I feel like seven manufacturers feels like it could be very, very real. Are there others that we're continuing to pin our hopes on? Might be a little bit muddier. Uh, Shoelaces may be tangled up a little bit. Yeah, so Lexus, could they be there? No, from a conversation interview that we had with Toyota Racing Development boss Dave Wilson earlier in the year. They're going to be going all out on a new Lexus GT3 uh, model, have ambitions for LMDH. But parent company Toyota, obviously, already into the breach with their LMH Groot uh, model. Hey, if that were to be able to come over and race here in the future, what would that do to a Lexus? Um, would Toyota, and I'm again, we're theorizing, if we were to have LMH's Graham coming over and able to race in IMSA, would Toyota come and try and run, knowing that that's not part of the WEC championship calendar, but would they come and try and cherry pick a prestigious international endurance race? Or would we rebadge, rebrand that vehicle as a Lexus for American competition uh, in IMSA? specifically to promote this uh, this brand here? Again, don't know. But we know that there's already an LMH that exists. We'd maybe struggle to say that it's all the awesomeness that they had hoped it would be. Would Lexus uh, TRD here in America be allowed to go and do their own LMDH just for here, uh, but maybe go to Le Mans as well and compete against the LMH Toyota? Again, some strings that are really tied and knotted up here in that regard hyundai like sunday is another one that's been rumored for a while know that you graham have been on the hyundai uh, hydrogen beat uh, from day one and you've you know you've been our number one source on that uh, those possibilities there could there be a hyundai lmdh imsa focused thing again i've heard yes and no I don't know how many times. So, and are there others potentially looking in? Are there any brand affiliations, Graham? When we're talking Mm -hmm. LMH, imagining a converged world here in the future where any and all LMH cars can come and play in IMSA and go direct uh, head-to-head with LMDH. Are there any brand affiliations uh, within other families uh, or I should say, within LMH constructor families, big overarching uh, automotive companies where you go, all right, well, we do have the European model uh, that's going to be the foundation of what we're doing, but hey, we've got this other brand, and it sells in America, and maybe we could rebadge this thing as a whatever it's called in America and have that be a factory presence there. Again, it's a fair amount of, of interesting options, Geronimo. Mostly on the LMDH side, as you mentioned, but I'd say there's also some interesting things 
on LMH as well. Hard at this point to say how any of them would play out, but at least with my little mental Rolodex, um, I am thinking we're going to launch with minimum five. I don't know if it'll be more than five, but I'm feeling strong about five in 2023. And come 24, I think seven would be uh, minimum six, uh, but also possibly seven as well. That'd be huge. And I'm just sharing, writing, finishing up a story for Road and Track about BMW's big win, one and only win, in 1986 in the IMSA GTP category, right? So BMW was involved in prototypes in IMSA twice in the 80s, Graham. First one was a big, not great thing that went away quickly. They then came back in the mid-80s, did a single year, and in that single year had to ramp up and go against factory Porsche. Uh, there were fact, there was factory Corvette, factory Jags, factory Fords, factory Nissans, and coming down the pipeline not too much farther, granted, BMW is gone by that point, uh, but you would have Toyota coming in, which is probably the biggest and most meaningful. But just saying, when I think back to an iconic era of North American prototype racing, mid-80s, IMSA GTP, golden era of golden eras, we're rattling off however whatever number that was, but minimum five, but between five and seven real factories, Real money, very diverse vehicles, different concepts uh, in the engine bay for sure. The fact, brother, that we're going to be kicking off this LMDH formula with numbers that almost identically mirror the number of manufacturers uh, that we had in GTP's peak, my favorite all-time, that I happen to be there for, thankfully. That part's amazing. And then the second factor, which we've spoken about uh, ad nauseum, the big part back then, in not all instances, right, there were no privateer Jags. Uh, there were no you know privateer Nissans for the first couple of years. Uh, there were no privateer Toyotas, but uh, there were Porsche 962s galore. There was a little, quite a number of privateer entries also, uh, some real actual, you know, privateer boutique constructors, whether it was a Lola or March or Spice or so on, that made non-factory options. We don't have that possibility right now, Graham, but I do like the fact that we expect there to be a number of uh, privateer-ish or semi-works, Audi, Porsche, you name it, uh, that will be available in LMDH. We know Acura hasn't been inclined to go that route, but just saying... This feels, it's almost like everything I've been hoping for since the GTP era was at its peak. Numerically, diversity-wise, all that. Man, LMDH is looking like a dream come true. Um, let's just pick up on that point. As Paolo Mandiero, Mandiero sorry, uh, says, LMDH, and he means the acronym, does not sound inspiring. Can IMSA show some backbone? Just call it GTP or even keep DPI. Uh, that's a good one. Um, 
I don't know if backbone's the issue, Paolo, but uh, front bone, um, <laughs> brass, brass. We'll call it brass. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where this just gets weird is we do know that Convergence was announced, what, 2020, Graham, at Daytona, mm-hmm. wasn't it? They've announced Convergence. Assuming all that happens, we know that our friends at the ACO and WEC uh, love this nomenclature, this LMDH. They've wanted to tell IMSA what it stands for. IMSA has not exactly accepted that. Uh, but we know that Lamont Daytona hybrid is what we kind of expect the H to be. IMSA, just sharing, IMSA has never formally said what the H stands for. Um, where this just gets a little weird, Paolo, is provided convergence happens and we have both sides playing together. The one side that is trying to call the shots, trying to say that, um, trying to handle the naming, we know that they like LMDH. So would it be a little bit weird if at a event where both IMSA and WEC prototypes are competing at Le Mans or Daytona or wherever else, uh, the two sides refer to the vehicles by different acronyms, <laughs> probably. So that's where things get a little weird. If IMSA were truly just doing its own thing again, as it's done with DPI, and there's no strings attached to anything WEC is doing, I'd say there'd certainly be more possibility of brass being demonstrated. I've not gotten a formal response to this, but I have heard internally they don't exactly love LMDH. And I know that I, like many of you, have suggested, lobbied, and I haven't gotten on a hunger strike yet, although I should it'd just be good health-wise. Uh, I mean, G- GTP, come on, man. Um, that's what has meaning here in America. LMDH is just weird. Anytime you have the name of a class and it has a lowercase letter thrown in. I mean, that's just strange, right? It has nothing to do with racing. If, Hey, what's the name of this thing? Well, we got four letters and yeah, we did like the first three. Yeah. They're like uppercase and stuff. And then I don't know, like if, when the release went out, like some dude forgot on the last one and, uh, it just was lowercase and, uh, maybe like the big boss did it and everyone else was afraid to ask like, Hey, Mr. France, um, uh, is your, is your keyboard not working good? Cause you got a lowercase H, but they were too afraid to do that. So they just let it go. Did an error. Did an oops end up being the official name. I have no idea. I have no idea if, uh, uh, Pifi, Pierre Fial came up with that designation. Again, I don't know, but I can just tell you, Paolo, that LMD H lowercase. It just looks like ass. So I can only hope that that. <laughs> goes away and we get gtp or i don't know man but this one seriously it's lame whack and needs to go away so naturally graham it's going to be here for the next 20 years so, um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh dear me let's have a quick look what else we can find uh carl brown says can you explain imsus race start rules 
Uh, Carl says he's heard you aren't allowed to switch columns before start-finish line, but GTD Audi was three wide with the Corvettes in Detroit, and there was no penalty. IMSA has penalised drivers for this multiple times in the last year. What was different about that situation? I will admit I didn't watch the start. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it was fun. Um, it was a little non-regulatory, uh, I would say. Yeah, uh, yeah. the Carbon with Peregrine, Falcon, uh, uh, Carvana, uh, Cars by Vana, Grin. Um, yeah, they were on the boil, man. Uh, they were taking off and going quick like a bunny. And I love seeing it. It was, a, as you point out, a little bit strange. We don't often see gtlm cars passed by anything other than prototypes so i don't know i i will freely admit here kyle it occurred to me but not enough to actually reach out and get an explanation uh i don't know but that imsa event at detroit was just a little weird to begin with um also and again uh, maybe this is it since it was non-points for gtlm was there a bit of a, well, technically they're here, but they're kind of not actually being scored uh, from a, a points standpoint? You know, there they will be a finishing order in GTLM, but eh, you're not really here a part of the, the championship show. So I don't know. I wonder if there was a little bit of, uh, all right, well, you're giving these guys a hard time and they're not, they're here and thankfully they're here, but they're not really a factor in anything since they're playing with themselves. I don't know. Did I just say playing with themselves? Apologies. Um, that's my only guess. Uh, IMSA's not the most uh, race behavior penalty throwing organization that I've seen. To your point, we've seen. I think Sebring stands out, especially the uh, peeking out of line on a start or restart and getting penalized for that. But I don't know. I wonder if the the, the fact that it was uh, doing so with the Corvettes is was a bit of the mitigating factor. Okay, uh, it's one that I think we've we've seen before. Sean Walsh says, um, Marshall, you've been pessimistic about the new management at Laguna Seca. Recently, Racer.com had a series of articles that presents a rosier picture, or maybe rosier Rocky can answer. What, what say you? What's going on at Laguna? Uh, and then they wanted to know who Steve Nicholas was. Um, oh, yes. So Steve Nicholas, super veteran writer, reporter, editor. I occasionally mention my fairly expansive collection of On Track magazine, which was America's equivalent of Autosport through the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. Steve was the editor there uh, in its early days. Um, just a lot. high Rock. Uh, just veteran, veteran reporter guy. I've been working with Racer for a little while now, uh, a couple of years now. So he's been on this task. Um, uh, separate. So what he's been writing about is about a Laguna Seca Foundation. And that's wholly independent. That's a fundraising arm that is separate from the track, separate from the management. And they do support benevolent things in and around the track. Um it looks like after a very rough start, um, the new management has been gaining a little bit of momentum. So 
had to walk back a couple things that didn't work out exactly in their favor. Separate from modern-day sports car racing, the vintage event that's been held there for decades and decades, once known as the Monterey Historics, more modernly known as the Rolex Monterey Motorsports Reunion, um, there's been a... There was an effort, successful effort, on the new management's part to uh, take it over in its entirety, get rid of the selection committee that had chosen all the vehicles, the 500-plus that had shown up. It really kind of a, this is ours, we're going to do it ourselves. We're going to put together our own selection committee, us, 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 screw you. We're not the old people that ran it for 57 years. We're totally striking out on our own in every area of management oversight. And that didn't go well. And so then they reached out to the former group led by a, a friend of ours, Bruce Canepa, who owns some of the greatest race cars and sports cars ever. Uh, and so more or less the old group is back doing that, looking after things. And so they have formed their own volunteer group. That was the big concern. Hundreds of local volunteers that have supported the track forever. Um they've, They have come up with their own. Uh, so that's moving along well. Uh, they've had a couple of significant events, and I've heard that things have gone fairly well. So it sounds like, Sean, that things are moving along in an okay direction. One thing that has been um, a little bit underreported, and it's just because you don't want to keep piling on, but... I've heard that whatever honeymoon that existed between the new management company, which was effectively conceived and put in power by the board of directors or by uh, county management, which is a little strange, right? They The county didn't put their own people in charge. They had someone that they knew create a new LLC, a new company of their own to manage told them to bid and gave him the contract. So that's a little weird, right? Um, the whole love fest of, hey, we're tired of the old people. They're terrible. We got to get something better, new and different. Um, I'm, I've just heard that that love fest is maybe coming to an end or near its end. So it'll be interesting to see, to close in this topic, Sean, whether the new management indeed gets a second contract to stay i off the top of my head i remember i forget it was two three five whatever year contract but yeah uh we'll see if someone else isn't chosen or is chosen to elite laguna seca next time that opportunity comes do you want to do a quick grab bag of anything more in the imsa bit before we move on and have a few minutes of uh general fun no I'm hitting the marker, <laughs> and we're going to growl and fun. Right. Um, well, let's do that then. Let's do that. Um, Cross dot main says, "What, in your opinion, is was or who, in your opinion, is was the most controversial driver in sports car racing?" And no, Christoph Busch was too easy. Says, most controversial driver. Huh. James Weaver. Yeah, terrible man. <sighs> just the socks. 
he was run out of the sport so yeah. quickly. True, just just terrible. Well, first of all, horrible race car driver. Never achieved a thing, and one of the most abusive abusive okay. people I've ever come across. Um, so yeah, thankfully uh, he was just a turd in the punch bowl. So I'm glad that uh, he was out. He's of, gone. Yeah, he. Yeah. What did he last? Like six months. Never heard from him again. So. Uh, I have no idea. Um, what comes to mind for you, my friend? Well, you're getting down the road that takes you in the direction of the sort of neighborhood and the suburbs around Scott Tucker, aren't you? Um, but he wasn't that controversial for most of the time there whilst he was spending cubic yardage of dollars on stuff. That, um, and that's a great point. Because yeah. while there is great controversy from sports car racing, of which you and I have discussed many times, spun many okay. yarns about the drug dealers, the embezzlers, the Ponzi schemers, the so on and so forth, the ones like Tucker, who mm. come in from places unknown to the paddock, shower it with money. And... Mm. Just right. It is nothing but living high on the hog. You don't tend to hear then a lot of controversy and things bubbling under and, oh, my God, can you believe this guy over here where it's and I don't know. I don't I've never arrived, Graham, at the right way to approach this, treat this right about it. You name it. Um, but I've always wondered, how do we treat, how do we contextualize, uh, cover from a historic standpoint, those who knew Tucker was a wealthy man by very questionable means and yet made little to no effort from a moral standpoint to say, mm. I want nothing to do with it. And I'm not saying the day he showed up, the minute no. he walked no. into the, uh, what I think was the first time, I forget whether it was ALMS or uh, Grand Am, but for the first day he showed up in the paddock, everyone pointed and knew, oh, that's the, that's the <laughs> money. No, and I'm not being, I'm not trying to be uh, mean here, but that's the, the payday lending schemer who defrauds, and ruins people's lives, and he's here with a billion zillion dollars from just truly cr creating human wreckage. That was well, not known. It was I, at I, I first. Can, I, can, I can tell you the moment. I can tell you the moment I thought things were odd because it's not unusual for people to come in and spend cubic yardage of dollars in sports car racing. Some of them don't hang around a lot. It was when you started to see. Microsoft on the side of the car, and there was no apparent linkage to that company. Yeah. That yeah. was the moment for me. So, and again, I just say this because a lot of the folks that drove for Scott, which mm -hmm. therefore, and these were professionals, and therefore, okay. we can just say by obvious laws of deduction, were paid a healthy wage to be in cars with him or part of that team. It's a long list of friends, 
uh, Ryan Briscoe, Marino, Frankiti, Bushu. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we joke about a lot. Big, big uh, Luis Diaz, Ryan Hunter Ray. Uh, wasn't Pagano there? I think Joao Barbosa. Um, Honey. I mean, and again, uh, who else? Uh, Lucas Lure. Um, but we can just run down the list, and uh, and there's a lot. Westy, right? Westbrook. Uh, blah, blah, like I bet we could come up with fifteen Long? to twenty, yeah, you know, whatever the number is. But a lot of high-level professional race car drivers who were paid to be part of Level Five, both in the very beginning and then in the years later, where I think there was more of an undercurrent of even if we don't know all the answers, we know there's something a little shadowy and murky here. How do you how do you treat that, knowing that, you know, sometimes the guy, the accountant, has a big client and they might not understand everything they do, and then you find out, oh, there's some you know massive murderer, drug dealer, whatever else. Do you look at that accountant and say, oh, you're just as bad? You knowingly took money from name the the terrible person, or do you say, look, you know, we're all kind of pardon my french we're all kind of whores right whomever is going to pay us to write a story take a photograph drive a race car turn around like look we're nomadic whores and in in international endurance racing we're globe trotting uh nomadic whores and so should we not point at some of those uh you know we know a purveyor of a sports car website who lived off of tucker for years did their pr traveled every like their existence income you name it was primarily supplemented by someone that was well known to be uh uh, not great do you cast dispersions or do you say you know actually it's just how many people in the sport have paid their bills, earned money, put kids through school, fed themselves from money uh, spent by people who received it through uh, illegal measures. And should we treat those, the recipients of those funds, in a, a harsh way? I don't have an answer, but I do think about that from time to time. How do we, how do we process that? I, th- I think it's a, it's a tricky one, isn't it? I mean, uh, I peddled my services in a variety of ways down through the years. There's obviously the pole dancing in the earlier career um, and, and all sorts of things too. And have I come across um, people with, how can we put this, dubious background to their finances? Yes, I absolutely have. And in the case of at least one of them, um, once finding out that it was as dubious, have walked away from that professional relationship quick step. Um, but it is difficult, and, and, and as well of which, you're also in a, in a kind of slightly difficult situation when there are grey areas around. Uh, you know, in case of Tucker, the things became illegal to be blunt because he was finding loopholes, and law was changed. Um, so it is a tricky one. I think you choose your company, don't you? You report as you find. Um, you, in the case of anything legal. My my view has always been, if there's a proceedings out there, if there's something on the public record, then you should feel uh, free, easy, and able to quote from that. We've had some this this week, in fact, MP, um, which is the uh, the legal proceedings that are now underway 
between Aston Martin and, a, and an organization called Nebula. Yeah, a great name. That's like such yeah. the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe bad guy name. <laughs> but this is, this is the entity that sits behind a variety of other entities, including AF Racing, not AF Corsa, R Motorsport, uh, who have done business with Aston Martin in GT3 racing, GT4 racing, and in DTM. Uh, Aston Martin St. Gallen, which is a major, or indeed assumed to be was a major dealer, uh, in Aston Martins in Switzerland, and were, um, uh, it turns out controversially, the uh, the dealers that were pointing in the direction of Aston Martin a number of customers for the Aston Martin Valkyrie. And uh, I'm not going to get into it because we're we're going to run a slightly shorter show than normal. But have a quick look at Daily Sports Car about that. Uh, ongoing action, uh, both what Aston Martin have said publicly and indeed what the owners of Nebula, um, both of whom, by the way, I know and I have to say like personally, met them multiple times in paddocks uh, as drivers and as team owners, uh, their response to those uh, those allegations. But suffice to say, um, that doesn't look like ending tidily. How do you deal with that? You report the facts is I think what it comes down to. You report the facts and you choose your company um, carefully. Uh, will I be further approaching those uh, individuals to ask for further details? Well, the answer is I can and I will, but the chances of getting anything other than no comment at this point are 100% I'll get no comment um, is, the, is the straight answer. So it is a tricky one. Um, I'm not going to put my, my hands up here and say, I'm completely lily white uh, and I investigate the finances of everybody I deal with. You know, you and I deal with on a day-to-day basis, MP, people of, in the greatest scheme of things, extraordinary wealth. Um, In some cases, this is their business. In other cases, this is their passion. And in some of those cases, uh, they may be involved in businesses which I don't particularly approve. They may not be illegal, but I don't particularly approve or they're not on my top 10 list of things I'd personally like to invest in. There may be others that there's things that are a little more shadowy about. And you can probably guess some of those because they tend to be the people I ignore when I'm writing in depth about the races I cover. Um, I have all sorts of um, – Nuances to my character, if you like, the things that I find uh, less acceptable um, and and guided by those, by the values that built in me from my parents, from my friends and my colleagues. Um, and I'll choose who I write about and who I don't uh, in those kind of contexts. But it's an interesting one. To answer the question, though, lots of controversial figures around. Usually it's to do with the way they either conduct themselves on track or the way they conduct their finances. have to tell you, the ones who are iffy in terms of the way they deal financially in uh, various paddocks um, tend to be found out pretty quickly. Uh, I don't have a lot of time for people who don't pay their bills, and I tend to make sure that if people don't pay their bills, that anybody I know that might come into contact with them finds that out before they find out the hard way. Um, and I think that's the right thing to do. Um, should take a couple more? Yeah, I'm just going to offer, and I'll, I'll go ahead and do a little callback here. Most controversial Ooh. person I've dealt with, Harry Lolt from Singlematic. Definitely, definitely terrible. Uh, um, yeah. yeah, and I'll I'll do the, why don't I select the ones we close on? First Ooh. on, first on, first of all, Teflon Tim. 
not sure if we've had a Teflon Tim before, but ask something we've spoken about earlier. When are we going to have some merch available in Europe? So, yeah, uh, just reiterating, we're working on that, but we're still developing the idea. So going to happen, but if anyone is, A, still listening at this point, and B, has ideas of the various weekend sports cars, cartoon uh, show logos that you like more than others that you might want to have in T-shirt form and sticker form, please do not hesitate to tell us because we would mm-hmm. rather target what thing what things folks want and make those available instead of print and make a lot of things available and then have some things that weren't particularly desired just sit and be losers. So there's that. Um, we're going to start off with penultimate question goes to our pal Stitch Turner from Ooh. the lovely state of Florida, I believe. Marshall, I really miss having a high-level sprint sports car race here. In America, any chance that anybody fills a gap left from the disappearance of World Challenge? And he says in uh, brackets, and don't try and tell me it's still around. That is not the World Challenge we all know and love. Uh, and he then goes on to say in a second submission. Also, before he mentioned them, Trans Am makes my heart really happy. I just miss having that format with modern cars in quasi-factory teams. <sighs> I don't see where this happens, Stitch outside of history and fond memories and YouTube. Uh, there does indeed still exist the modern version of World Challenge with names that I still cannot seem to remember because there's so many different classes and iterations. Funatech GT World Challenge America, powered by AWS. Yes, but we also have the Pirelli GT4 Americas thing, and we have the this. GT4 and the, America. Yeah, GT America. Yeah, and we've got... Anyways, <laughs> we've got a bunch of things there. Yeah, the... Hey, here's a real factory thing, and here's a semi-factory thing, and boy, they sure are taking pride in doing something cool and unique that is 45 minutes or less, 50 minutes or less. Let's just go beat the heck out of each other and celebrate this. But it is there is real true tentacles from a factory, if not full outright. We're Cadillac, we're Nissan, we're whomever, and we're, we're Bentley, and we're here. Um, I don't know, man. I, I, I wonder with where IMSA is going with a lot of manufacturers opting in to LMDH, and what we think is going to be hopefully a successful GTD Pro, GTE AM delineation in those models battling there. I just wonder, Stitch, if there's enough interest remaining among other brands that aren't involved to break off and do something new or lobby World Challenge to change back to what they once were. Until Stefan Rattel sells his stake in the series and someone with a passion for what World Challenge once was hopefully buys it and turns it back into what it once was, I don't see the thing that you love and I loved as well. I don't see us having that. So I think for now, with things appearing to be going in a very positive direction for IMSA, everything being an endurance race, I realize that their shortest is 100 minutes long, but also if you look in Michelin Pilot Challenge with its multi-classes there, those things have long races too. So there's no kind of, hey, (laughs) uh, I could drive to the track 
watch the race and be home and that entire experience would be about two two and a half hours like there's really not much of an option that i foresee you being able to do anywhere my friend so why don't we close graham on a little bit of a cryptic one and it comes from our pal right turn lover so i don't even need to say cryptic because that's just kind of assumed or implied first time listener long time questioner well that's funny uh graham what's that one question mp should never ask you and he then says for me to say about sports car racing so i was about to say the question should have been the question should have been what is that smell um but it's not that because it's about sporty car racing what should he never ask me i I worry about him like where what headspace do you have to be in and at what time in the early morning because this doesn't occur to somebody at 2 p.m this is like a 3 13 a.m he's working up screaming hasn't he with this one again Uh, yes what's that one question that he should never ask me i've asked for your hand in marriage you've said no so we that's off the off the, the could list be the, why didn't i go back to the le mans in 1996 after uh, after my first year in 95 but that's that's a simple answer um and he is hanging you out to dry with this one i guess so am i because i chose it as the last one you know he could ask the why aren't we appearing on midweek motorsport anymore but who cares <laughs> um <laughs> uh have we been ever um, been happier no um uh um it's a good one isn't it it's a what stumper never asked me what is alan mcnish like in an enclosed space i think we can Try just assume it smells like it's, lavender and farts it's a weird it, it, combo it's, it's uh, you're not so much the, not so much the lavender um well, while you're it's thinking, a, I'll throw in Don Gregory, who had the worst yeah. acting chops, Danny Sullivan in his role as Danny Tepper in Miami Vice, or the entire cast of Driven. Uh, keep in mind, the cast of Driven were professionals. So uh, you can't really give Danny, who was a non-actor. I mean, think about that. We're debating this. One of them, not an actor. All the others, actors. And we're questioning who was worse. So that's pretty funny. Um, I can't- Wait, I cannot wait, by the way, for your star interview uh, on the subject of Driven. I cannot wait to see that public. Absolutely staggering story about that call. Yeah. Um, what should you never ask me? You should never ask me. <sighs> it's a, that's a really, really terrible question. You realize um, we've been farting around for minutes now waiting to close. We're, this show's just going. Like, the, you know, we're just recording. We're just I'll waiting. Come on with it for next week. I no, so we'll be going. Hey, if it tastes next week, that's going to be, that's how long the show is going to be. Come on. What do you got? What should we never uh, ask you? Uh, Darkest uh, recesses you keep hidden. Don't ever ask me what I think of GT World Challenge America. Oh! <laughs> I thought that was my answer, but although I kind of give it whatever no, asked. It's, or even don't ever ask me no this um, needs to become a soapbox come on man you gotta close on a yeah, soapbox yeah. don't ever ask me what I think about the people who run this sports lack of imagination about alliancing between some of the major races particularly right now don't ever ask me that because that will end up with an hour and a half 
We got there. I don't know how satisfying it was, but okay. Um, Should I close? Yeah. Husky's looking at me now in a funny way. Rocky is crouched staring at me, uh, giving me the eyes like, have I ever told you how much you suck? I've been trying to get you to feed me for an hour and a half, you idiot. So, uh, yeah, before we are consumed by our pets, um, take us home. Graham Goodwin. <laughs> well, applauding in a kind of sports sort of way over there, Marshall Perrett, over here in the UK, as the sun goes down in the South Seas of England, I've been Graham Goodwin. We're going to say thank you again to the newly re-signed, not resigned, but re-signed Cooper Tires, to the Justice Brothers and to TorontoMotorsports.com. Uh, he's been Marshall Perrett. I've been Graham Goodwin. This has been the Week in Sports Cars. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much as well for your, your excellent questions. We'll be doing it again next week as we close in on the WEC uh, restarting and in the week between the two races that Simpson will have at uh, Watkins Glen. We'll be with you next week. This has been the Week in Sports Cars. Good night. <laughs>